Hey there, and welcome to The Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it's all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I'm your host, Matt Robertson. On today's episode, we are talking about something that I've danced around in the past, and we're finally getting into it today, and that is buying your first handgun. This is one of those topics that you can share with your friends. You know, buying guns has been super popular in the last couple of years, and it's only growing. There's a lot of new people out there wondering, what should I buy? And there's a lot of conflicting advice out there. So this is the kind of episode where you can share it, share it with your friends, send it out there, talk about it, or hey, come by the website, everydaymarksman.co, and tell me that you think I'm wrong. I'm totally cool with that. While you're there, check out the YouTube channel and our awesome community of marksmen. All right. Let's get into why I was inspired to actually buckle down and make this episode because traditionally I am a rifle person, not so much in with the handguns. It's never been my specialty, but here we are. I think it's time to talk about it because we've been on this whole trend of Scenario X. Now, as a reminder, Scenario X is our fictional national disaster, weather, whatever, end of the world, but you and your small group of community members are pretty much on your own and you're stuck with what you've got. And I want to make sure that people have the right skills and equipment to be as effective as they can. And while I fully admit that rifles are the preferred way to go about doing business when it comes to self-defense, pistols have a role too. And this all comes to a head for me a while ago when I was in my local gun shop wrapping up a range day, and I was standing by the gun counter looking at what was new. And there was a couple of gentlemen there who were shopping for their first handgun, or rather one of them was shopping for their first handgun, and his buddy was with him, egging him on as he went. And while I'm trying to point point out distinctions of, you should check out this one, or hey, this is what this one is good for, they made the exact same mistake that I did when I was that age. So if we rewind the clock to when I was 22, freshly graduated from college, and I was being done with my money, and I wanted to buy guns. So my very first gun was a Springfield M1A. My second gun was a Springfield 1911 uh, loaded model, black stainless. It was a matched target model. Beautiful, beautiful pistol. Absolutely wrong pistol to buy (laughs) as a first handgun for me, not really knowing what I was going to do with it. And these, these guys are making the exact same mistake as if there wasn't a 1911. It was a very nice, all stainless steel Walther PDP match model. It was heavy. It was shiny. And he was saying he was never going to carry it. It was only going to be to take out a safe and show off to his friends. And I remember thinking the same thing until I got serious about shooting. And I was like, you know what? I actually want to carry. And then I did not want to carry this giant block of stainless steel 1911 And that sent me down the path that has led me to today, learning lots of things as I went along. So let's get into it. If you are new to shooting, then welcome. I am not here to talk down to you. I am here to help educate about a few truths when it comes to the gun world to get glossed over by all the shiny marketing materials, right? Handguns are primarily weapons of personal defense. You know, they're the tool that you can keep with you all the time and provide a chance to fight and survive long enough to reach a more effective weapon, like a rifle. In a pinch, lacking something more suitable for the task, yeah, you can use for close quarters fighting. But outside of military use, the primary benefit of a pistol is that you can conceal it. Now, in the military, there's not really a primary benefit to a pistol, let's be honest here. 
um, as weapons of war, pistols are pretty much a blip. They're low power, they're short range, and they're they're more difficult to shoot well. All right, doesn't make them useless though. Let's get right to my bottom line up front as we get already a couple minutes into this one. I've got a lot of thoughts leading to this one, so most important part first. Despite what many gun counter salesmen will say, or what someone who's inexperienced instincts are going to tell them, the decision on this one is actually really simple. The average first-time handgun buyer should start with a compact 9mm barrel length around 3.5 to 4 inches and a capacity of 14 to 15 rounds depending on your local laws or you know, if they arbitrarily limit that to something else. And the most important thing is reliability. Everything else is second. I don't care if it's hammer-fired, striker-fired, what the ergonomics look like, if it has a safety or no safety, what the sights look like, if it can take an optic or anything else. All right, all of that stuff is interesting, and it will confuse a beginner all the same. But what I'm saying is that the beginner, male, female, doesn't matter, all of those preferences you haven't developed yet, all right? So if you're a beginner and all those extra things, like whether the decocker is ambidextrous or what the safety looks like, it doesn't take a dip, it doesn't matter until you have practiced enough to make it matter, all right? So the most important thing is reliability. And lucky for you, there are a lot of guns on the market that can meet that. So let's talk about how I got to here because the bottom line, and this is the controversial part, handguns are boring, to me at least. The process of becoming a skilled pistol shooter is exciting, all right? A gifted handgun shooter is something to behold, and the pursuit of that kind of performance is anything but boring. However, the gun itself is boring. A fantastic shooter can make the most boring gun in the world seem exciting, all right? So all the flashy stuff you see, that's just marketing, all right? It does not have, has nothing to do with how good that shooter is. Now, while we can add optics and lights and all these like quoting go fast accessories, they trickle into the pistol world from the rifle world, but they're nowhere near the same level of performance. All right. Manufacturers don't want you to know that though. So they're doing everything they can to squeeze the blood from the marketing tournament and convince you why their pistol is better than the other guys and why you need this extra stuff. So I'm being honest with you. Between running this website, running the podcast, writing for magazines, competing with guns, renting lots of guns, and shooting a lot of guns over the years, the fact is, most handguns are pretty much the same. Yeah, there's little nuances to things like how it fits in the hand, how the trigger feels, but these are all personal preferences to the user. What I like may not be what you like. However, I understand that because I have all the experience and you might not as a beginner, then you know, you're, you're going to take my word for it. But what I'm telling you is it doesn't matter. All right? In the end, the only thing that matters is whether it goes bang every time I need it to. Now, this actually will knock out a lot of pistols from the running, um, but there's a lot of other great ones on the market. So let's talk about that reliability question. The most important thing about your first handgun and I'm emphasizing first handgun because very often, especially for a lot of new buyers today, the first handgun often becomes the only handgun. So I want to make sure that first handgun meets all your needs. All right. If you're buying your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth gun, then sure, have at it, specialize away. But for that first one, for that first one, it should not be a specialty gun. It should be generally good at everything. All right. And if you're betting your life and your family's life on the gun, then accept nothing less than stellar reliability. 
and don't mess with it. All right. Don't, don't feel pressure to go out and buy all the cool little tweaks and modify the gun to your heart's content. Competitive shooters love to modify things to shave an ounce here or there, change the balance, use different spring weights. So it cycles faster with light load ammo. Um, the trouble with all that is that every modification that you do takes the gun further away from its engineered factory specification. And that puts it further and further into unknown reliability. So just don't do it. Everything is secondary to reliability. Now, there are several manufacturers and models out there that all have great reputations to start with. But the safest bet is usually to stick to companies and models known to compete for military and law enforcement contracts. All right. Now, there's a lot of those. The ones off the top of my head, and, and you can check out the article associated with this one. But here, if you want to write them down, Glock. Almost any model, but particularly the Glock 19, Glock 17, uh, Glock 43, or 43X or any uh, X models. All right. The Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0 series, H&K P30s, VP9s, HK45 Compact, the SIG P320, the Walther PDP, the FN509 and the FNX9, the CZ USA 75s, or the P07 or the P10C, and the Beretta series, so Beretta 92 Compact, the PX4, or the APX A1. All of these are great guns. They've all competed for military and won contracts or competed for police contracts and won both in the U.S. and around the world. Now, are there other good guns out there? Yes. Now, there's a lot of praise for things like JANIC, AREX, IWI. However, those can be a lot harder to find in your local shop. So how do you know if you're going to like it? How do you know if you're going to perform well with it? Uh, not to mention issues about finding support items like holsters, spare magazines, spare parts if things break. Hopefully they don't, but if they do, you, you kind of want a gun that's easy to fix and, and people are familiar with. I'm sure if you really wanted to, you could dig into the data that some of the options I listed are more reliable than others. Uh, for instance, I know the Army did a whole lot of testing on the most reliable handgun for what became the M17. The winner was the SIG P320, and it had an obscenely high mean round screen failure, making it very reliable. But even then, the other ones were all extremely reliable. So don't get wound around the axle there. As long as it's good enough, then you go on to the next factor, which is how you shoot it. Most people who are trying to sell you a gun are going to say that the next thing you have to decide is whether or not you want a striker fire or hammer fired gun. And I'll touch on that a little bit later, but, or they're going to want to have you hold it and be like, how does it feel best in your hand? I'm going to argue that you should ignore all of that and actually see which one you shoot the best. If you haven't developed any personal preferences around ergonomics and fire control groups, it's not really worth quibbling over the difference between beaver tails, finger grooves, trigger safety tangs, decockers, and, and all that stuff that people like me love to debate about. All right, shoot the gun, see how you like it and how it performs for you. That said, I bet most beginners are going to demonstrate a few preferences here, like striker-fired pistols over hammer-fired guns, simply because there's a known learning curve around shooting hammer-fired guns, particularly double-action guns, that is less appealing to beginners. Experienced shooters will actually really appreciate it. All my favorite guns are all hammer-fired, but I've been doing this for a long time. All right, now it gets to the next question of full-size, compact, or subcompact. You know, I see this question pop up a lot, and thankfully it's getting a lot better in gun stores, but you can imagine a woman going into a gun store 
and saying, I want to buy a gun for personal defense. And the first thing that their boyfriend or the guy, uh, the person behind the counter will tell them is, here you go, here's a subcompact. And the assumption is that's the gun to get because, well, it's smaller for our smaller female hands. And the reality is that's a bad decision. All right. Uh, and I'll talk about that here in a second. Now, rewind and let me state that I'm a believer in the idea of one gun. And I'm putting that in air quotes, the one gun concept. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's reasonable to use the same gun for a variety of tasks from concealed carry, home defense, competition, and training. Some people really get wrapped around the axle with multiple guns, each one having subtle differences that make it better for this or better for nightstand duty or better for competition. I think most people can skip right past that for a long, long time. The vast majority of people do best with a compact size handgun. Now, in in handgun terms, compact means about a four-inch barrel with a capacity of 14 to 15 rounds, nine millimeter. All right, this is the ultimate compromise gun. It's small enough to conceal, large enough to hold and control comfortably, and has enough capacity for training and match stages, right? The other configurations all give compromises. So for example, full-size duty guns usually give up that concealability because they're meant to be carried outside the body in a large holster, so they have that higher capacity, longer barrel. But typically, they don't give you that much more capacity. My Beretta 92 is significantly larger than my 75 PCR, but it only holds two more rounds, all right? Now, my CZP-10, all right, now we're talking 20 rounds. That's a little bit different, all right? But I'm not concealing that, all right? Now, you go down the other end of it, you have the subcompact guns, and they are going to give up capacity. They may be six to eight rounds, and they're really small and not very controllable, so they're not very pleasant to shoot, which means you're not going to practice with them, all right? And the most important thing here is that you get comfortable with the gun that you buy. You can practice it. So by starting with the compromise option, you're giving yourself room to grow in any direction. You want to move from nightstand duty to actively concealed carrying it? No problem. Get a holster and have at it. Want to start competing? Go for it. It'll work great until you decide to step up to a full-size match gun if you ever feel the need to. So let's talk about women and females. You know, a lot of shooters fall into that trap of thinking women are better served with really small guns or small hands. And while that small gun will look physically less intimidating for that size, physics still matter, right? With less physical mass and less gripping surface for the hands, a subcompact carry guns are just kind of snappier recoil and they're just more difficult to control. In an interesting turn though, I noticed the Walther released the PDP F series, which is a compact size handgun with a different group of ergonomics, like around the length of pull for the trigger, uh, the shape of the grip, It's not subcompact, it's just different, and I have no experience with it, but I do think it's a notable effort that companies are paying attention to the trend away from smaller is better advice, all right? Now, on the other end of that, I'll use my wife, Allison. She's a big fan of my full-size Beretta 92, my 1911, and my CZ PCR, all right? Well, that's, that's a compact one, but she actually prefers the larger handguns because she's more comfortable holding them. So as long as she has the hand strength to to pull the triggers on it, then no problem. Now, I'd mention the hand strength thing because I own a lot of double action guns. So one of the questions that always comes up here is hammer fired or striker fired. Now, I've got a whole another post on this, again, linked in the article associated with this episode. So I'm not going to linger on it too long, but I'll say this. It's a personal preference. 
new shooters who have not yet developed strong marksmanship fundamentals usually do better with the striker-fired pistol because it's a consistent trigger from shot to shot. Experienced shooters, people who've put in years and years to do this well, tend to, well, they still might do better with striker, but they could also perform, could perform slightly better with a hammer-fired gun because they can get lighter triggers. They can get smoother trigger pulls. You can get a better trigger out of a hammer-fired gun. So shooters who carry the gun a lot may also prefer an exposed hammer and that heavier double action pull because it's a safety thing, right? So if I I carry uh, AIWB, if you know what that means, I carry it down the front of my front of my belt, and I like to when I reholster, my thumb rests in the back of that hammer, and if I ever feel that hammer moving backwards as I reholster, I know something's pulling the trigger and I can stop. With a lot of striker fired guns, you don't get that safety, right? You don't know, and there's also an element of that when I do go for that first shot, it is a heavier trigger pull now. A lot of double action guns are going to be in that like 12 pound range. All of mine are closer to six or seven pounds. So it's not significantly heavier, uh, but it is heavier than the three and four pounds of the single action. All right. So there's a safety safety element there of that first shot. You kind of know you have to want to do it. All right. Okay. That gets me to the safety or no safety question. You know, one of the most successful marketing campaigns I've ever seen in the gun world was Glock convincing everyone that external safeties were unnecessary, if not outright harmful. (laughs) You see it all over the place today with people balking at the idea of an external safety on their gun, even if it has a really light trigger pull and no other mechanisms for for stopping you from pulling the trigger. All right. Now, on the other hand, there are generations of successful shooters who use things like 1911s, Browning High Powers, uh, Beretta 92s, you know, there's not a great argument against safeties, in my opinion. Now, when you select a pistol, whether it has a safety or not is really your personal preference and risk tolerance. Now, I completely understand wanting a mechanical safety on a pistol in a house with children. Now, generally, I don't care for mechanical safeties on my hammer-fired double-action guns. Striker-fired guns, I can go either way. I have examples of both, right? Now, should you choose a gun with a safety, though, there are two things you should consider. First, that safety mechanism needs to be large enough to use quickly and instinctively as you draw the gun. So as a bad example of this, the safety on my FNS9 is tiny and it's tucked up to the rear of the slide and it's really easy to miss it and fail to deactivate it during an emergency. All right, if I'm wearing gloves or my hands are slick, that little safety switch is just small. All right, I would much rather it be larger like what you would find on a lot of newer designs. Secondly, if you're going to use a safety, then you absolutely must train to use that safety consistently. Always, always, always practice deactivating that safety lever as part of the draw sequence so that it is instinctual. All right, You do not want to be in a position where you practice drawing and shooting with the safety off all the time, then load it with live ammo, flip the safety on for carrying or for storing, and then have to use it under pressure where you're probably going to revert to what you've practiced, which is not deactivating the safety, right? So if you're going to use a safety, and it's not a reason you shouldn't, then you must practice with the safety, all right? All right, enough said. Moving on. Optics or no optics? So this is this is an interesting question because for a long time, I, I ignored pistol optics. I'll admit that I was skeptical of the whole trend. However... 
having now spent a good amount of time with it, I do think it's the future of handgun shooting, right? Much like the debate between learning iron sights and rifles before learning to use red dot sights, I, I think we're going to start seeing more and more people of a transition to just starting new shooters with dots first. All right, the biggest argument against dots on handguns came from people like me who spent years and years training and competing with iron sights. And with that, we developed a certain level of muscle memory and habits around sight presentation that got us on target faster. And that habit, that muscle memory, made the switch to dots a lot trickier because the presentation is different. New shooters don't have that problem. All right, there is no ingrained muscle memory and no habits to break. All right, a person who is in this position is going to learn from the get-go to maintain the target focus and how to bring the site to alignment with that target, with a red dot site, right? And they're going to learn that from the beginning, they're, and that's going to be the way they learn it. And in fact, for them, going to iron sites will be, will be the challenge. So with that said, the first rule still applies that whatever dot you select should have reputation for ruggedness and reliability. The gold standard today is the Trijicon RMR, with a notable nod to some enclosed options like the Aimpoint Acro P2 and Steiner MPS. On the more budget-friendly side of things, uh, the Holosun 507C and 509T have both built up pretty good reputations. All right, whichever route you go, you're going to have to pay attention to the mounting pattern. All right, so these are all different between different optics. The RMR uses a different way to mount to a gun than the Acro, which is different than you know the 509T. So so. You have to pay attention to how you're going to mount it to the gun. All right. And you also have to be aware that you're adding another layer of maintenance, like changing batteries from time to time. Now, I would not feel undergunned if I had a pistol with only iron sights and someone else had one with an optic. All right. If the pistol you shoot best doesn't come ready for optics, then get it anyway and learn to shoot it well. You can always get the, the slide milled later on for optics, but optics are interesting they are not a deciding factor. Now, I want to, one more topic here before I wrap this up. I mentioned before that you should not go modify a pistol, and I'm going to caveat that one a little bit because I think in general, beginners should not tinker with a pistol. It's not that it's always a bad idea, but that it takes time to learn about what each modification actually does and how it's going to affect the operation of the pistol. You know, as an example, I don't actually have a problem if someone's choosing to swap out a set of cheap plastic factory sights for a nice set of metal sights. <coughs> Glock. All right, that doesn't affect the operation of the gun. In most cases, I'm okay with a little bit of minor polishing and smoothing of internal contact surfaces to make a cleaner trigger pull. This is particularly for hammer-fired guns. You know, this kind of thing is really just accelerating what would happen naturally over time over several thousand rounds. Now, that said, there's a fine line between this kind of polishing modification and accidentally or even inappropriately modifying the geometry of the pistol's mechanics, and that causes malfunctions. So for a gun that you stake your life on, I don't think it's a good idea to start swapping out the operating parts and springs. All right, competitive shooters do this with guns they know will only ever see a steady diet of custom competition loads with light primers and low powder charges, all right? They know they're never going to fire full power ammo with hard primers, so they can get away with it. And worst case scenario, you know, the gun fails during a match, they lose the stage. Oh, well. For everyone else, I think it's more important that the gun work reliably with the widest variety of ammunition you can get 
And that means full power springs and hammers. So that we've gotten to the end of my brain dump. Thanks for joining me. Let's do a quick review. All right. All those steps round back up to this. And most people in most circumstances will do just fine with a compact size handgun. It's the perfect balance of compactness, capacity, and ergonomics. The most important thing you should consider is reliability, followed closely by how well you shoot it. If you can't actually shoot it first, then all right, go off how the gun feels in your hand when you hold it, that's ergonomics, but those preferences don't usually develop until after you've had enough experience. And even then, most people are influenced by the gun you started with. There are legions of Glock fanboys out there in the world who that was the first gun they bought, and that is the church of Glock. They preach it all the time and try and convert everybody else, right? Uh, A lot of people just love their first gun. Not me, but a lot of people. (laughs) Now, all the other choices out there, like hammer-fired, striker-fired, safety, no safety, optics, no optics, are all personal preferences. And I say with rifles, start with something simple, master it first, then worry about what you might tweak along the way. Most people are never going to get to the point of mastering their gun. So you should not pursue being like most people. All right, that's it. Thanks for joining me today. Come on the website, everydaymarksman.co, and you'll find today's show notes. And hey, here is a quick shout out. This is not sponsored or anything, but do as a suggestion. I do say practicing is one of the most important things you can do. So I encourage you to check out Ammo Squared. Ammo Squared is... A service I've been using, I'm talking about amongst the Everyday Marks and Discord. It's like a subscription for ammo where, you know, if you like the, uh, what's it called, robo investors, where you deposit money every month and say, hey, I want 20% go to 9mm, 20% to 22, 20% to 223, 20% to 308, and, you know, whatever. And they just go buy it at a really cheap price and stockpile it for me in their location and then they mail it to me when I want it. So it's a nice, easy way to buy several boxes of ammo every month. You just stockpile it slowly in the background. I have a whole write-up on it at everydaymarksman.co forward slash ammo. Or if you go to ammosquared.com forward slash marksman, uh, you can get 20% off your first crate. So do consider it. I do think it's a worthwhile way to build up your practice ammo and even your defensive ammo over time. All right, that's it. Thanks for joining me. I will catch you next time. Have a good day.